Hello everyone, it has been a long minute. One month of college apps, another month of endless essays swamped by the International Baccalaureate, but we are back with a very special episode today, if you couldn't already tell because I'm the one starting off this episode for once, but we are going to be actually having an interview today with our own beloved co-host. Welcome, Brody, to your own show. Thank you. So, Brody, for the past two months, you have been conducting some research on Detroit, in particular District Detroit, right? This project that was kind of spawned, meant to renovate Detroit, and that's actually going to be our topic today, District Detroit. So can you tell us about your research question, and what exactly are you investigating? I have been looking because I've heard about this story through various people I know, and the Detroit area is very near and dear to my heart, and I want to know what has gone on inside the city. So I got to thinking, the Red Wings and the Pistons moved into an arena. That arena is now known as Little Caesars Arena, and it was all started because of a bigger project known as District Detroit, hosted by the Illich family. The Illich family is an interesting one, and the background on it is a long, hard story of somewhat the American dream. The founder, Mike Illich, founded Little Caesars in 1959 with only $10,000, and he's grown the business to where it is now, where he can afford to own the Red Wings, he can afford to own the Tigers, he can afford to own pretty much every big entertainment business you can think of inside Detroit, minus a few. So it really got me thinking, what are the implications of this? Very cool. So before we dive into the actual impacts of District Detroit and even the Illich family, can you tell us what exactly District Detroit is and what connection does Little Caesars Pizza have with it? I mentioned District Detroit a little earlier, but I know you can go a lot more in depth because you know way more about this topic than I do. Yeah, so it all started in the early 2010s where Mike Illich and the city of Detroit got together and they said, hey, we have a lot of renovations to do because we have a lot of empty, unused buildings. I can cite the Alhambra, which was an old hotel. All There's a bunch of buildings in this one part south of Midtown where not much was happening. And the city saw this as a fault and they said, we need funding though. So the Illich family swoops in and they start this District Detroit, which they announced in 2014 or 2013, somewhere in there. And it is a monstrous plan with a big focus on Little Caesars Arena, which is combined with all these other projects. They want to bring in new apartments, retail space, new housing, new hotels, the arena itself. They want to bring in more people. They want to build part of a school, which we'll talk about later. They want to update the Little Caesars headquarters to put it in downtown Detroit. It's a huge project that is now going well over couple, couple, couple billion dollars. And it's the effects on the city we're hoping to see. But really what ended up happening was they made all these promises. 
They built the Little Caesars headquarters. They built the School of Business at Wayne State, and which is a local college. And they built Little Caesars Arena. But recently, it's come into light, and not all that recently, like 2019, people started asking questions because they had a timeline set out and they weren't meeting any of the dates on the on the deadline. They were they were late on several buildings, and they kept just saying like, "Oh, we're gonna get it done. We're gonna get it done." It never happened. So it brings into light the priorities of District Detroit and really who wants what and who really the motivations behind it were focusing on. So I thought it was all really, really, really weird, but kind of cool. All right. So based off of what you said from that bit is it safe to say that district detroit has been controversial to say the least because you say that it didn't exactly achieve what it was set out to do right i think it is controversial for those that are affected because naturally that's housing space and that's retail space that they're not having access to because it's not built but i don't think it's getting the same limelight because it's not a major issue to anyone else really like, if you're not affected, you're not affected, and no one's really looking into it. I think it's interesting because I think the story is wild. All right, so moving on to, I guess, your opinion about this matter. Um, in your research, you cite Matthew Goldstein from the New York Times, who believes that the root of Detroit's problems is that it's the poorest big city in America. Basically, he's saying that widespread poverty is this big problem stagnating Detroit's development. So what was district detroit's approach a rationale towards looking at how to address these problems earlier you mentioned about like you know affordable housing bringing traffic into detroit how exactly will that help with renovating some of these you know neighborhoods midtown and whatnot yeah it's a good question the district detroit had a lot of operations going on and i think going in they definitely acknowledged the fact that Detroit is somewhat, for many people, an impoverished area. And to counter this, they put in the affordable housing, which they said would be priced, I think it was at 80% of median income levels. So the idea was to make it affordable. The thing is, though, the area that they're targeting is a block very close to Midtown, where... Midtown is a brand new, renovated, it's very nice. It's a very nice area. And the stuff there isn't cheap. So if you want to live where they're renovating, it's going to be harder to live there because all the other goods are more expensive. Now, as for the other construction projects, they're going to bring in jobs because they need contractual workers to build things. How that answers poverty and brings in more money I don't think from the beginning it was a focus for the Illich family. And I don't think at the time Detroit's government was not up to standard. I mean, we even now, citizens every day are having problems. We have this study saying that 38,000 households in Detroit or one in seven have major issues with exposed wires or electrical problems or even other water heating problems. And... These issues aren't getting focused on, but renovating old things and building new things is. So I think that shows something about the focus of where the city is and what they want to fix. 
Okay, so when we're talking about things like looking into affordable housing, bringing more affordable housing to these areas that currently have inadequate housing, like you just mentioned, that study that you mentioned, and just bringing wealth back into the poor and forgotten areas of Detroit, you know, outside Midtown, even in downtown. How exactly does the Little Caesars Arena become the centerpiece of this project, as you mentioned in your research? So what exactly was the idea of that? Well, I think to answer that, it's important to note the sports teams in Detroit. Originally, the Detroit Pistons, the NBA team, National Basketball Association, they were housed outside of Detroit. They were in Auburn Hills, which is a town 20 minutes away, and they would play at the Palace, which was an arena. That got torn down when they built Little Caesars Arena, which was really quite frustrating because that arena was only 20 years old at the time, or you know, 30 years old. It was really young. And now you have the Pistons and the Red Wings, the hockey team, playing in the same building. And it's all downtown, which benefits the Illich family, who I talked about earlier how they own Little Caesars Arena. They're able to get more they're able to get more money, they're able to get more traffic. But I think what it also does is it brings consumers into the area for more time. And more time means they can spend more. So I think going back to what the original building started, the building came with a healthy price tag of $863 million, which consumers paid $324 million, of which in taxes, that indirectly went to the construction of the stadium. Uh, on average, that's about $480 per civilian in the city. So, I mean, I think, I think that's something. But what we're not seeing is the repercussions on the economy. We're not seeing it being paid back out to consumers. We're just seeing more traffic, which I'm in- interested in seeing because we didn't really get to see it because of the pandemic, everything shut down. We weren't able to see the actual growth. But LCA, the goal was to bring everyone down there. And I don't know, I can't conclusively say that it happened. All right, so you did begin to answer the question, but in retrospect, did the arena, I guess, achieve what it was meant to achieve? So did bringing more traffic in, because it did, I would imagine that the arena did bring in a lot of people to Detroit, but did this traffic actually increase revenue and like add to funds for development in Detroit going towards, again, this project, because the arena was a publicly funded project for District Detroit, right? So did the, did the revenue offset the initial costs of the project? Again, you mentioned $863 million for the arena, of which like almost a half was paid by the residents of Detroit. Was this ultimately justified towards the end where the revenue did actually offset uh, the initial costs and now it's being used to develop Detroit. Is that happening right now? I'm going to come out and say it. The Detroit sports teams are some of the worst sports teams to ever play sports. The Pistons are doing okay. The Red Wings are doing okay. The Tigers are, well, and then the Lions are absolute doo-doo. So... From the beginning, consumers aren't coming down to see big games at Little Caesars Arena. Because we don't have big games. We just lose them. So, on a more serious note, I've 
ran some numbers and there is an increase in the amount of revenue coming out of Little Caesars Arena following the construction versus the old arenas, Joe Lewis and the Palace. But I can't say that it's being paid out because that's just a revenue number. It's hard to determine how much profit they're actually making because naturally the arenas aren't public companies. They don't have to file that. They don't have to report that. What I can say for the other projects, because LCA, well, the centerpiece, if you say that, if we if we look at it and say the, the increase in consumers didn't happen and we're not seeing the economic growth, the other projects like the hotels, the affordable housing, much of which has not been completed. So those effects, those repercussions that consumers should be experiencing, they're not seeing them because they're, they're not there. So as for repercussions, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because nothing's been completed. What has been done and what I can say is between 2015 and 2019, per year, Detroit's GDP growth has been 0.7% less per year than the entire United States economy. So it does show that the Detroit economy is lagging in some respect. And that number doesn't really pick up. You see small increases after 2017 when the arena was built, but the increase isn't really there and it's not keeping up. So with all that said, is it safe to say that even if we're looking at like increased event revenue, or I guess the better word would be profits, if we're even looking at increased profits to the city of Detroit brought in by the arena, that's not exactly probably going directly towards the original goals of District Detroit, is it? Because we're still looking at these perpetuating problems, like we mentioned earlier, empty apartments, the abandoned apartments, things like that, that we still see today. So Brody, is it safe to say that even if we were looking at increased profits, it's not actually helping the original goals of District Detroit? Yeah, so I think first, it's important to know what has been done. In August, the Eddystone Hotel, which was one of the original projects in District Detroit, was completed. It was, I believe, the first one to be completed in a since 2014, when the project was first instituted. So, I mean, that's good, but it's well behind schedule. And as far as the perpetuating issues go, I don't see that they've been really solved. I mean, the study that I cited earlier about 38,000 households in Detroit saying that they have wire heating or water issues, that's still around. And that has been around in Detroit for a while. So I do not believe that those effects are being seen or fixed due to District Detroit. And I think the unfortunate part is the area that's being renovated is they called it forgotten, but it's not on either side where the most impoverished areas are, where you see, you hear about like gun violence and gangs and all this. It's not happening there. It's happening one block south of Midtown, like the newest, freshest area in Detroit. So I think naturally, based on that location alone, the effects aren't really going to be seen until they branch out. I'm hoping that happens, because I'd like to see the city improve. Okay, so it's finally time to tie this back to the Illich 
family because this is like kind of the first thing that we led off with. You kind of stated that the construction of Little Caesar's Arena had resulted in an oligopoly on the entertainment business, at least in Detroit, by the Illich family. How exactly did this happen? Again, because the LCA is a publicly funded project, is it not? Okay, so to answer this in the best way possible, I need to go back to 1982, where Mike Illich, after selling pizzas and building up his business, he buys the Detroit Red Wings for $8 million. That's quite the investment. Now, five years later, in 1987, the Illich family takes over Fox Theater Detroit, which is a nowadays a very large theater concert hall that you can go to in Detroit. Moving on, a couple years later, he buys the Detroit Tigers and Motor City Casino. So now fast forward to 2017, Little Caesars Arena is being built. It's being finished. The sports teams are coming in. And all of a sudden, the sports teams need to price out where they're going to be for the following seasons. Their main competitor is Ford Field because they don't need to they don't need to compete with Comerica Park, which is the Detroit Tigers stadium, uh, because the Illich family owns that. Ford Field is the only competitor in the sports Detroit sports industry. I think this is where it gets interesting as far as oligopoly goes. Would you rather pay 80 bucks to 90 bucks for a ticket at Ford Field? Or would you rather pay 46 or 39 dollars? for a Pistons ticket at Little Caesars Arena. This is where I think the magic happens because you can, what Little Caesars allowed the Illich family to do was combine the two teams and then you can charge half the, t- the price for each game because the revenue adds up in the end because you're getting money from both tickets. So the arena was able to charge half the price that Ford Field, their main competitor, was selling at. And those seasons go well beyond the Detroit Lions season. So they're able to make more money longer because they're able to attract more consumers because of their lower price. And I think that's the magic of this entire scenario in terms of holding an oligopoly where they own most of the business in one industry. Right, okay. So the Illich family has this oligopoly, but how how does that work? Because the Little Caesars Arena, again, was this publicly funded project, part of District Detroit, no less, which was meant to renovate the city of Detroit in the first place, right? So why does buying a ticket at the LCA fund the Illich family pocket and not the pocket for Detroit's renovation and development? How does that work? Well, I think on one side, it really only goes towards, from what we can see, it only goes towards the Illich pockets because we can't see where they're dishing out the revenue, if they're making profits, where they're going, because they're not a public company. I've said this before, they don't have to file it. But I think another way that we're seeing effects on consumers and going back to the affordable thing, the affordable healthcare, or not healthcare, affordable housing, fixing the impoverished areas in Detroit. If you have more consumers going down there and they're paying for these games because they can get them at less of a price and they're going down there more often because the season's longer, what we can see, hopefully, is these consumers are going down there 
and they're spending their money into the midtown and nearby Detroit economy. And hopefully it's, it spreads out. So I like to think that hopefully the money is not only going into the Illich family pockets, despite everything they own. Like their hold on the entertainment business in Detroit is massive. Casinos, theaters, arenas, everything. I like to think that it circulates because these consumers are spending their time and their money in the area, but it's unclear to say from data. All right, so if we look at somewhat two sides of the coin here, looking at the benefits of LCA, if we're looking more into the ripple effects, if that makes sense. So if even if revenue from the LCA might not be directly going towards funding the abandoned apartments in Detroit, for example, I would imagine, like you said, that bringing in all this traffic has resulted in at least a ripple effect in bringing more attraction to, for example, small businesses and vendors in Detroit, for example. But an interesting article that I read was that there's actually part of the Detroit code is that they prohibit now vendors from operating 300 feet within the arena. And I think this is just a stupid rule because you limit the amount of the potential for development by these vendors, the amount of profit that they make, because now they have to situate themselves further from basically where all the action is going. But at the same time, you're still looking at generally more people coming to Detroit, right? So I guess my question is, which side of the coin wins out, in your opinion, based on the ripple effects, not just looking at the direct revenue and profits brought in by the LCA? So for two sides of the coin, I first want to say that the time I went to LCA, we parked and we walked into LCA through a not-so-nice area. And I know I said before that there are well further impoverished areas. That's not to say that LCA is not in a great, well-funded area. Much of the surrounding area is not great. But on the other side, I think it can be reasoned that LCA is helping much of what's around it. Uh, according to the Detroit Economic Outlook for 2019 through 2024, it found that resident income from small businesses increased 33.7% in 2017, the year following the beginning of the plan. More attraction to the area resulted in more consumption. I, I think that was the real motivator to try and fix or start to fix the problems that were going on in Detroit. And I think by seeing that, it's it's a confirmation that growth is possible. I don't know that it's being fully realized, but I think LCA and the construction really helped the Illich's pocket. They were able to build that new headquarters. They were able to build this new oligopoly with the pricing of tickets. They were able to expand their empire. But I think in the long term, it's possible to see a growth in the Detroit economy, which I'm hopeful for. Thank you so much, Brody, for attending your very own show. This has been the high volatility experience. Uh, we would just like to say that from this point on, we will be trying to utilize a more consistent uploading schedule. Again, the past two months have been difficult as we are students, but like I said, we will try to be more consistent and you will have 
more content to look forward to in the future. So thanks for tuning in with us, and this has been the High Volatility Experience.